0: In Acts chapter 7 and verse 58, Acts chapter 7 and verse 58, we find Stephen, an evangelist and, I believe, a deacon in the Jerusalem church, stoned. The text says, When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of the young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. And then we can flip over a few chapters to Acts chapter 12. And we can read in verses 1 and 2 about the Apostle James as Herod had him executed. In Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now about that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. We find here these two great workers in Christ's church, martyred, executed, put to death. And yet, when that was done, apart from mourning over them and burying them, nothing else was done with. However, in between these two accounts, we can turn to Acts chapter 9, and beginning in verse 36, and we find out about a very special disciple named Tabitha. She was also known as Dorcas. And in Acts chapter 9 and verse 36, we find the amazing account about her death. It says, Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. When they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And He gave her His hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, He presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. In Jerusalem, an evangelist and possibly a deacon dies. An apostle executed. And yet they simply mourn their loss. But in Joppa, a sister in Christ dies. And they call for an apostle to raise her from the dead, and he dies. What a special disciple Dorcas must have been. What a great asset she must have been to that church. What need she must have filled in Joppa for this prayer to be granted to them and her to be raised from the dead. What is so special about this sister? What was it that she provided that caused them to need her so greatly? To be distinguished even above apostles and evangelists and to be brought back to life to continue in her work. Certainly we'll probably not know everything that lay behind this choice of the Lord. And yet, as we examine this sister, we find out that Dorcas was indeed a very special disciple. And as we look at her, we'll find out that every church needs disciples like Dorcas. And we'll find out that each one of us needs to be a disciple like Dorcas. I want us to note five very key aspects to her life as we strive to be like her. If you look in Acts chapter 9 and verse 36, the Bible says that this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Disciples like Dorcas abound in good deeds and loving works continually. That word for abound used there has a very interesting definition according to Strong's enhanced lexicon. It means replete or covered over. Can you imagine that? What Luke is telling us about this woman is that she was covered over with good deeds. She was up to her eyeballs and doing good works and loving deeds for others. It was what her life was about. And the text goes on to say that she continually did them. And whether your translation uses the word continually or not, My understanding is that the verb form there has to do with abiding in this work. It was something she constantly and consistently did. She did not grow tired of these good, kind, loving works. Her life was devoted to serving others and doing good to them. Do you remember a passage that we read this morning in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10? In Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, the Scripture reads, "...let us not lose heart in doing good." For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. It is our responsibility as children of God, as brethren in Christ, to do good. And we're to do good to all men, but especially to the household of faith, especially to one another. We ought to be covered over in deeds of kindness and love serving one another, looking for those areas in which we can show our love to one another. And then we'll be disciples like Dorcas. If you turn back to Acts chapter 9 and you look at this woman's life, and we find as Peter came up into that upper room in Joppa, that they presented to him these tunics and these garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with him. Who paid for all those garments? Who took the time to make those garments? Well, these are Dorcas' good deeds, right? So that means that it was Dorcas who paid for them. It was Dorcas who took the time to make them. And we find then that disciples like Dorcas sacrificed themselves for others. How much of our time is spent dreaming and thinking about all the things that we're going to do one day when we have enough money and we have enough time. How many of us sit back and think about all the things that we'll do for our brethren when things settle down in our lives and when we're not spending money on so many other things? How many of us have sat there and said to ourselves, well, you know, when I finish school, then then I'll be able to start doing things for others. When I get married, then I'll be able to start doing things for others. When my marriage gets settled in, then I'll have the time and the money it takes to be able to serve my brethren. Once my kids grow up and get out of the house, then I'll have the time and money to serve my brethren. Once they're finished with college, and I don't have to pay that off anymore, then I'll have time and money in order to serve my brethren. Once I retire... Then I'll have time and money to serve my brethren. Of course, once we retire, we say, well, I'm in a fixed income. How many times do we look to the future and say, once all those things occur, then I'll have time and money to take care of all these obligations and all these responsibilities and to serve others. I want you to look at Dorcas. How much money did she have? I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But what I do know is that she made some choices about the money that she had. She could have used the money just for her own needs and her own desires and her own wants, but she didn't. She chose to take part of what God had blessed her with and used it to bless others. I don't know how much money you have and I don't know your obligations and your responsibilities, but I know this. No matter how much we have, God has said that we need to use it to serve Him and to serve others. I once heard somebody say, it's not what you would do if a million were your lot; It's what you are doing with the dollar and quarter you've got. What have you got? You need to be using it to serve God and serve others and be a disciple like Dorcas. But what about time? How much time did Dorcas have Are you aware that back in the Bible times, every day had 24 hours just like today? Do you realize that Dorcas had the exact same amount of time that you have? 24 hours. The question is not how much time we have. The question is how we choose to use the time we're given. And Dorcas made a choice. She sacrificed some of her time for others. I have never made any clothes. I wouldn't begin to know how to do it, but I remember when my mom did, and I remember it took time. And she had to devote herself to that to get it accomplished. And Dorcas is the same. Time that she could have spent pursuing her own desires and her own wants. She spent making clothes for others so that their needs and wants and desires could be filled. That's sacrifice. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be sacrificing our time. I'm certain that you've heard of the one that the religious world calls Mother Teresa. While I believe that her theology was dead wrong, I believe her attitude towards service was dead on. She said, I cannot do everything, but I can do something. I cannot help everyone, but I can help someone. And she used her time to serve. Sacrifice. That is exactly how we need to think. Sacrificing to serve. Helping others. It's true that if you choose this route, you may not get the widescreen TV or the, the lo- notebook computer that you were wanting. It's true that you might have to tell your kids, no, you can't be involved in every sporting event that's out there that you are interested in. It's true that you might have to say, well, I can't take every vacation that comes across my path. But that's the essence of sacrifice. Giving up what we want and desire. In order to help and serve others, that's being a disciple like Dorcas. Go back to Acts chapter 9, and we'll find, of course, in this text something that I think is very interesting. If you read this text, now it said she was covered over with good works, but then as it goes on, it, it only tells us about one making clothes. Now, I'm sure that she probably did other good things for people other than just making clothes, but she obviously excelled and focused in one area. You see, what we find out about disciples like Dorcas is they do not do everything, but they do what they can. Far too often, we take a look at all the work that needs to be accomplished and we say to ourselves, I can't do much about that. And so, by analyzing that, we paralyze ourselves and do nothing. Or we might look out at all the other people that are around us, and this good number of folks that are here tonight, we might say, well, look at all these people who can do so much more than I can. And we can think about the things that they can do that we can't do. And so we say to ourselves, well, I can't do what they do, and so what I do must not be all that important. And once again, we do nothing. It reminds me of the story of the one-talent man in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the parable, beginning in verse 14, it's just like a man about to go on a journey, Matthew 25:14, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents to another two and to another one each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Now we know what the five-talent man and the two-talent man did. But we find in verse 18 that he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And then in verse 24, the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master... I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Lord, I knew that you were a judge and an exacting man and you expected so much. And I knew that I couldn't accomplish enough for you. And so here all I've got is just to give you what you gave me. But notice what the Master says. His Master answered and said to him, You wicked, this is verse 26, You wicked, lazy slave! You knew that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would receive my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him, and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he'll have in abundance. But from the one who doesn't have, even what he does have shall be taken away. He said, if you knew that I was such a hard judge, you should have at least done something. At least something. Instead of nothing. Those who are disciples like Dorcas recognize that. I've got to at least do something. No matter how it compares to others, no matter how great it might seem in the scheme of all the things that need to be done, I need to at least do something. Something. Why do you think Dorcas made garments? I'll bet it's because she was good at it. It was something she could do. And so she did do it. What can you do? What kind of service and help can you render? Can you make clothes or fix clothes? Can you cut grass? Can you babysit? Can you clean house? Can you visit folks in the hospital? Or in the nursing homes? Can you write encouraging cards? Make encouraging phone calls? Can you sit down with somebody and pray with them? Can you listen to them as they share their burdens with you? Can you do handyman jobs around the house? Can you teach somebody the Bible one-on-one? Can you teach a Bible class? Can you have people into your home? And share with them in hospitality. What can you do? The list really is endless. Let me tell you, you can do something. It may not be what I can do, and it may not be what the person next to you can do, but you can do something. And disciples like Dorcas do that something. Whatever it is you can do, serving and helping others. Disciples like Dorcas, they don't do everything but they do what they can to serve others. Our next point is very similar to that because when we find Peter going into that upper room in Joppa, who is it that's standing there showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with him? It doesn't say that he was greeted by every disciple in Joppa. It says that he was greeted by the widows. You see, what we learn here and another very important point is that disciples like Dorcas, they don't serve everyone. But they serve the ones that can Once again, we might take a look around, and I just noticed, as Brother Harrison posted the numbers in the back, as we keep a record of our tenants, 107 people here tonight. Can you serve 107 people here this week? Probably not. And we'll probably say to ourselves, whoa, that, man, that's a lot trying to serve all these folks here. I just, I just don't, I, I can't do that this week. And then we're just paralyzed again. And we do nothing. God has never said that we have to serve everyone. But what we learn is that we have to serve someone. How do we choose? Well, I don't want to become a cliquish Christian. I don't want to just develop a circle around me and only work with them because then we'd be a clique and that would be awful and certainly it would. But as I look at Dorcas, I don't think she was a cliquish Christian. I think rather she just looked at who she could serve and she served them. And that's exactly what we need to do. Let me ask you, the abilities and talents that you have, can they help a particular group of people especially? Can you do things that would help widows? Or maybe young people? Or maybe young marrieds? Or those with young kids? Or maybe plant workers? Or maybe farmers? Who knows? Maybe you can do something that specifically helps a group of people then do that! Serve them and help them in whatever way you can. As you consider who you might serve, think about the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 30, Jesus replied in Luke 10 and verse 30, Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, the Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him, and he put him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. You notice the Samaritan. He didn't serve everybody. But notice also that he didn't just serve his closed circle of Samaritans. He served the one with whom he came in contact. Who needed it. And that's who you need to serve. The one with whom you come in contact. Who you can help. Who needs it. You can start tonight. Here we are around all these people. And in just a few moments, we're going to be having a dismissal prayer and then we're all going to get up and what are we going to do? We're going to find our best friends and start talking with them, right? How about instead, go ahead and talk to the person that's next to you, or behind you, or in front of you, and see what you can do to help them. Give them an encouraging word. Pray with them. After you get done with that, serving those with whom you come in contact, then go to your circle of friends and work with them. Start with whomever you come in contact. Disciples like Dorcas, they don't serve everyone, but they serve the ones they can. Because they realize in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's our duty. To serve one another. God has given us abilities and talents and He expects us to use them to serve whom we can, when we can, the way we can, the way He has gifted us to do it. And finally, as we look in Acts chapter 9, probably the most important lesson that I can share with you this evening as we look at disciples like Dorcas. As you read through this text, who asked Dorcas to do these things? Was Dorcas simply a part of the Joppa Church of Christ garment-making ministry? No. These were Dorcas's good deeds. She was doing this on her own. You see, what we learn is that disciples like Dorcas don't wait to be asked to do the work that they can. They just serve others when they can, where they can, to the extent that they can. No matter who asks them or who notices. And that's the key to being a servant in Christ. We know from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, that meeting the needs of Christian widows is certainly and authorized work of the church. There in Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task but we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the Word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying they laid their hands on them here in Jerusalem. They had widows to take care of. And they set up an organized plan that the church was running and planning and providing and paying for. And they had men within the church that were set over it. But we look in Acts chapter 9 and in Joppa and we find that's not what Dorcas is involved in. This is Dorcas doing this on her own. The headquarters for her work was not the church building. It was her house. The oversight of her work was not the elders. It was her own. She was doing this. These were her good deeds. And she was simply serving other Christians. We need to be like that. But how often do we see work that needs to be done? And we sit back and think to ourselves, I wonder when the elders are going to do something about that. You know, after all, they are our leaders in the church. Shouldn't they organize some kind of work to make sure this is accomplished? You remember what happened in Acts chapter 6? There was a work that needed to be done, and they went to the apostles. And they said to the apostles, look, our Hellenistic widows are being overlooked. What are you going to do about it? And the apostles said, we don't have time to do anything about it. We're not going to. We have other things more important to take care of. You look to it, and find men within the congregation who will take care of it. You see, here's the fact. We go to the elders sometimes, and we tell them about our great ideas. and Here, this needs to be done. Take care of it. And most of the time, you know what they'll do? They'll let us down and not do anything about it. Do you know why? Because just like Dorcas and just like the apostles, they can't do everything either. And so we find out in Acts 6, well, they said, go find some other men. And so what do we do? Okay, the elders aren't going to do anything about it. Well, we'll tell others. Now, maybe we'll just complain to them. Or maybe we'll hope that somebody else will go ahead and take care of this. Why not you? You see the need. You know what work needs to be done. Why not you do it without being asked? Why not be a disciple like Dorcas and just take care of the need? Can you do that? Of course you can. That's what disciples like Dorcas do. They serve. When they can, where they can, who they can, to the extent they can, without waiting to be asked. Without waiting for a church-organized ministry to be started. And a plan set up by the elders or the deacons or the preacher. They just work. They just serve. Doing what they can do. And that's what we need to be like. Every congregation needs disciples like Dorcas. And every single one of us needs to be a disciple like Dorcas. You see, here's the thing that we most often forget. That when we go back into the New Testament, stories like this one and numerous others demonstrate to us that the greatest amount of work accomplished by the early church was not accomplished under the organization of local churches, but was accomplished by individual Christians just doing what they could, when they could, without being asked. Even work. See, we get into all these debates today about what work can a church do and what work can a church not do. But we find here even work that a church can do. An individual who stepped up and said, I'm not going to wait for the church to do this work. I'm going to do something. Why'd she do it? I don't know. Why'd she choose the widows? I don't know. Now, there's no mention of a husband. Maybe she was a widow and understood their need and could help them out. Maybe her mother had been a widow and as she was striving to help her mother realize the great need that all the other widows had. I don't know. But evidently, she had a desire to help the widows. She could help the widows. And so she did help the widows. What can you do? Where can you help? Don't wait for the elders to ask you or set up a plan. Just do it. Don't wait for all kinds of recognition and honor systems to be brought up within the congregation. Just do it. Just work. And be a disciple like Dorcas. Those are the kind of disciples that we need. Those are the kind of disciples that every congregation needs. And that's the kind of disciple that God needs you to be. Like Dorcas.